Hey, welcome uh, to The Revealing. This is Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville. Uh, we hope uh, everybody is uh, staying safe and uh, enjoying their time with family at home. Uh, we know we're living through a, a, a pretty rough time, but uh, hopefully we can take this time and just uh, be able to uh, just uh, reflect on some things and, and be able to uh, remember uh, that uh, time of family is important. And uh, although, uh, you know, we're not able to get out and about, uh, being able to stay home and uh, be able to hang out uh, with our friends and family uh, is, a, is an awesome time as well. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, we have uh, halted our recordings of the revealing uh, and, uh, uh, for, you know, for the obvious reasons of staying safe. Uh, so what we thought we would do uh, for uh, the uh, uh, upcoming weeks is uh, maybe give you some uh, uh, some excerpts of some of our preaching that we do here at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do instead of uh, uh, bringing you uh, the revealing crew, uh, we're going to take some weeks off here uh, for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, just uh, play some recordings that we've done uh, at our church uh, in One Baptist Jacks. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy those things. Uh, again, uh, stay safe, and uh, the Revealing crew will be coming back at you live here soon. Uh, so we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Uh, let's go ahead and um, just go before the Lord, um, and really just, if we can, y'all, uh, just ask Him to, listen, He promises uh, to, by His Spirit, to, to teach us and to lead us in all truth. And uh, he does that. As we know here at One Baptist, he does that. Uh, First Corinthians 2 tells us uh, by comparing spiritual to spiritual. And I, I do want to lay out a uh, just a little disclaimer, if I could, uh, for the moment. Um, things we're going to talk about tonight, um, there's some really, really neat things in, in the Word of God. And um, some of them, you know, for some of us, may be kind of deep things. Uh, but I don't want tonight, listen, I don't want tonight to just be about learning stuff or cool things or deep things or whatever. Because uh, if this doesn't change us, if this doesn't, as Peter says, uh, cause us to purify ourselves, uh, then really it's all for naught. Uh, so uh, just as we go before the Lord, uh, if you can join my heart, there we go. It's working. Nice. If you can join my heart with, uh, with your heart in that, uh, with the Lord's heart, then um, I believe He will be glorified and honored. So let's pray, and then we will jump in. Uh, as I said, you will be receiving some notes as soon as uh, they arrive. But Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Lord, much more than uh, we uh, can and do give you in these mortal bodies. Uh, that is not to say, Lord, that we should not seek to always incessantly give you glory. But Lord, there will be a day when you will receive uh, that glory uh, in its fullness uh, that you deserve. Uh, there will be a day, uh, Lord, that uh, Satan will receive uh, that punishment and destruction that he deserves. And Lord, it's only by your grace and your mercy uh, that we have not received what we deserve. Um, so God, we just praise you. Lord, let us praise you truly and thank you right now. 
and may we love you. And may we love you more tonight when we leave because you have spoken to us through your word. And God, I pray that uh, we would be teachable. We would be a people, Lord, uh, that is willing to be molded by your hands, taught and instructed by your word, uh, and uh, willing to receive the word, the seeds of the word of God, uh, that they would uh, be rooted in the soil of our hearts and be established and take root uh, to bear fruit, and that we would uh, impart that to others. Uh, for your name's sake and your glory, give us understanding tonight. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so, um, again, you'll be receiving some notes when they come in. Uh, so if you, you know, see something up there, you're welcome to jot it down if you want, but don't feel like you have to. Um, we can maybe go back later on if need be. Um, but just as we normally do, I want to start with a, a bit of a review uh, because it seems as if almost every single week, though we're kind of doing this study, we're not kind of, though we're doing a study on church history, it, it seems like almost every week we're talking about something different. Uh, and, and so you may be wondering, like, okay, so how is this fitting together? Or how is this going to fit together? And really, this week is no exception. Like, we're kind of taking a little time out, so to speak, uh, this addendum, as you can see up here, uh, because um, I, I want us to make sure we have an established understanding of how God works, because we've been studying uh, church history and history uh, for almost two months now, and uh, some of the ground that we've covered uh, has been um, quite exhaustive, really. It's been quite, uh, quite um, hopefully, it's been broad, I think, but hopefully not too broad, but, you know, hopefully deep enough, but not too deep, right? So we, we're just line upon line, y'all, precept upon precept. Uh, it's how the Lord reveals his word to us. And so one of the things we've been talking about over the last uh, several weeks is history, church history specifically, and, and what history is and what history is not. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of us, if you're like me, um, there is only really a certain part of history that I enjoy. Uh, mostly, for the most part, it was really boring to me. It just was. Um, dates, people, battles, uh, events, you know, all that kind of thing. It, it, history has become, for the most part, boring. And honestly, church history has become, I think, boring for a lot of people. And, and so we really want to avoid looking at the things that man writes, uh, because that's man, and really want to see church history from God's perspective. Because history is, as we said before, around here, history is, is his story. And that's the unfolding of, of, of what our definition is. God moving to accomplish his threefold plan uh, for the universe, for the earth, and for your life. And God, excuse me, Satan counter-moving or countering that plan with his own to, to uh, confound, counterfeit, and, and to destroy uh, God's plan in any way that he can. And so last week we, we went back to um, the original earth and to um, the Garden of Eden, that, that original earth, uh, pre-Adamic earth. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, where there's a physical realm and there was a spiritual realm. And God uh, set one particular cherub in charge of uh, that, carrying out that ministry over those two kingdoms. Uh, he was carrying it out, the Bible says, from Eden, or in Eden, the Garden of God, uh, on a physical planet, yet they were spiritual beings that he was leading. Okay, don't miss that. On uh, a physical realm, the kingdom of heaven, uh, yet there were spiritual beings, those sons of God, uh, the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God. 
and this was way before Adam ever even gets there. And, and though we don't know how long that process or that time frame lasted, we do know it lasted, as Ezekiel 28.15 says, until iniquity was found in him. And, and so we see Lucifer's pride and exalting himself, uh, it, wanting to, to be as God, be like the Most High. And how God brings this judgment upon the earth to judge that original earth that you see spoken of in Genesis 1-1. And that's why you see Genesis 1-2. And, and you really unpack that last week, where you trace the phrase without form through the Bible, and you land it in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18, where God says that he did not create the earth without form, uh, but that it actually uh, became that way. Um, and so God really gives us, and, and we spent many other, many more weeks doing this in our Genesis study in the earlier uh, weeks of that. But when you unpack and you trace through the scriptures, uh, through Jeremiah, uh, Job, um, Isaiah, a lot of those Old Testament prophets, you see what was going on with that judgment and, and with that uh, recreation of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3 when the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters. And, and the reason that we brought that out is because from the very beginning, y'all, Satan was looking to counter and to counteract and to counterfeit and to confound God's plan right from the get-go. And that's why we went there last week because if he's going if to, if we're going to see him do it uh, all through church history, we got to know that's been his M.O. from the beginning. And that becomes important because Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 15 tells us that which hath been is now. Okay? We, we hit that verse a lot, and we're going to keep hitting that. Okay, I want you to, to keep that uh, in, in, in the forefront of your mind. And he says, that which uh, is to be hath already been, and God required that which is past. This is our key verse. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God has laid out the entire history of the universe for us. Can you hear that? Through Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2, what God has done is he hasn't just laid out creation for us. As we're going to see tonight, he has laid out the entire history of the universe, okay? Though it is a literal account, he is giving us some incredible pictures in chapter 1 and the beginning part of chapter 2. Um, and, and everything was laid out before it even happened. And everything in history, as we look back in 2020, everything has happened exactly how the picture shows. And that's really the, the benefit we have, the vantage point from being here in the 21st century and being able to look back and see those things that took place exactly as uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 talk about, as, exactly as Revelation 2 and 3 talk about. It, it's amazing. And, and, and it, it's, it's the testimony of Jesus, right? It's the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19, uh, 11, I think. 10, 11, seven, yeah, one of those. I think it's 11. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it just, you know what it does for me? It really just makes me more in awe of the book and, and of the author of the book. And, and so um, I'm going to, as I said, we're going to start talking about a bunch of stuff. I really wish you had your notes and your, uh, there's some charts in there that you're going to need. Um, 
So whenever they get here, they get here. So I'm going to try my best. I didn't put it up here because I thought you would have your notes, but that's okay. I'm going to do my best to explain this to you. So um, you can put your imagination caps on, boys and girls, and uh, uh, crisscross applesauce around the magic carpet for story time. Uh, we're going to kind of take a little journey um, back into eternity past uh, this evening. And um, as we were talking about last week, th this recreation, uh, there were three phases of the earth in eternity past. And as I'm saying this, our, our note provider has logged in. Uh, so thank you, my friend, for, for being here. Uh, but as we talked about last week, eternity past, there were three uh, phases of the earth. Okay, and, and you're going to see in your notes in just a moment when you get them, and thank you guys for helping out there to divide and conquer. You're going to see three phases of the earth on the left side of your chart. I think there are three charts in the back of your notes there. And so uh, even if you don't normally take notes tonight, hopefully you're sitting by someone who does, or you want to grab one tonight just so you can see these things, uh, because I think it will really help you to visualize them uh, and have them in front of your face. So if you look at those circles that are on the left of that chart, this is the first of three charts. Am I talking right, Chris? Are you, are you, are you, am I, there they are. There it is. Okay. Oh, looks good. Uh, so you look at those circles on the left. That far left one is the original Earth. All right. So I put some blanks in there for you. Right, I'm not going to put those up here uh, because, like I said, I, I, that would have been a lot to get the visual there for me. I'm not that smart. And so uh, just fill these blanks in. That far left one is the original Earth of Genesis 1-1, okay? And then that second one is the chaotic Earth. All right, you'll see the chaotic Earth there on that second on the left-hand side. And then the third one is the restored Earth. Okay, so you have the original Earth, you have the chaotic Earth, and then you have the restored Earth. And I put your references there in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, but what's so neat about that is that it's historically accurate, but it's also a picture of Ecclesiastes 3.15. It's a picture of what will be. Okay, that which hath been shall be. Um, it shows us how it began, and it shows us how things will end. Of something else that God is going to do with the earth, because there will be three stages of the earth in the future. So you look at those right three circles on your chart. The first one there uh, is the millennial earth. The millennial earth is that time when Jesus will reign on the earth for a thousand years, uh, when Satan is bound in the pit. And, and, and um, the, the, the second circle is the renovation of the earth by fire. Okay, he promised uh, back with Noah to, to never judge the earth again with water, uh, but he said nothing of the sort when it comes to fire. And so uh, there will be a, a renovation, so to speak, of, of the earth by fire. And because, uh, listen, after that thousand-year millennial reign, Satan will be loose one more time. Okay, and he's going to be super angry. I don't think that's King James super angry, but he's going to be super angry because he knows he has a short time. That's what the scriptures tell us. And he's going to be loose for one more time, uh, and the Lord is finally and ultimately going to destroy him with fire. Um, I think we have a verse, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, tell us about that. The day of the Lord will come, uh, and the thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt, listen to this, with a fervent heat. 
because the elements of the heavens and the earth are going to melt away with a fervent heat. Okay, what kind of heat do you think it would cause Mars to melt? I mean, think about that. What kind of heat would cause the sun, our, the star closest to us, the sun, to melt? But that's what he said. The elements of the heavens and the earth, I mean, think about Just get this picture in your head, man. Uh, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons, knowing this, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of the Lord, of the day of God, wherein again the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Listen, whatever stock, whatever emphasis, whatever worship we are placing on earthly things, man, the Lord is telling you. Second Peter three ten through twelve. It's going bye bye, and that which is eternal. That is what is worth or worthy of our time and our attention and our worship. It doesn't mean things are are, are cars are bad, right? But man, don't though you have cars, don't let your cars have you. Though you have money, don't let your money have you. And so, so then we see the next circle there, uh, that that final earth where God will create a new earth. Revelation twenty one, and that's your blank new, by the way. Uh, Revelation twenty one, verse one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Okay? And notice how the three on the left are a picture of the three on the right. Okay? So look at the restored earth. It's a picture of the millennial earth, all right? And, and I kind of like put some lines there. So if you want to like have something new, like there, there should be lines coming down. Okay. So like you can connect those so you can kind of just visualize uh, where that uh, that restored earth is a picture of the millennial earth. Um, and for all the circles, connect those lines. All things in the new earth will picture that original earth of Genesis 1-1. They will be restored again. All right. Uh, it's that time that Acts chapter 3 and verse 21 describe where the heaven, uh, or excuse me, whom Jesus, the heaven, uh, must receive until when? The times of restitution, that word restitution being um, all uh, restoration. Um, but that time of restitution, uh, that restoration, um, you know, when, uh, I don't know when it was, uh, a couple of years maybe now. Uh, April and I, we had our house broken into, and we had some things stolen, and we were able to file for restitution for some of that property uh, that wasn't found or returned, and um, we were able to get a monetary value back. We're actually still in the process of doing that back, but like that is being restored back to us, back to what was originally there, and that's what is happening here. Uh, Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight and verse twenty-two, for we know that the whole earth, excuse me, creation groan it and it travaileth in pain together until now. Listen, this earth will go through another change as it did before. And what Romans 8.22 is saying is all of creation is groaning, is travailing, is waiting for that day and for that time. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 describes it as a time when the wolf 
uh, will lay, dwell with the lamb and the leopard, so lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling all together. The child, the little child, uh, shall lead them. I mean, unlike anything that we know today in this earth, in this world. Uh, and listen, it needs to be restored because after God restored the earth of Genesis 1 2, God cursed the earth because of uh, man's sin, because of Adam's sin. And so in Genesis 1, God has given us a picture of what shall be because it has already been. Ecclesiastes 3 15. And listen, we are going to see tonight a pattern, y'all, all throughout the Word of God uh, of, of, of how He operates. Uh, we talk a lot about this with Him. Uh, <clears throat> working in threes, uh, but you know, he also works in sevens, or he counts in sevens, and so I want us to, to get this pattern established, first of all. We're going to establish this pattern, uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1, um, it, 1 and 2, we'll be there quite a bit this evening, but we'll be flipping, I'll throw some verses up there for you, but in Genesis 1, 1, all the way through Genesis 2, 3, God takes you from eternity past all the way to eternity future. And he lays, what he does is he, he, he lays it all out for us, of the way it was, uh, the, the way it will be. It's all coming back. He, he lays out the specifics of what will take place between the beginning and the end. So you have what was, what will be, the bookmarks, where the book ends, I should say, and then all that will be in the middle. And in Genesis 1-3, God begins the recreation of the earth. And if you're listening to this, either here or, or maybe online, uh, we spent a great amount of time unpacking this, and so if you're not familiar with that, I'm going to have to ask you to, to trust me on that um, and, and refer back to some of our previous teachings to get that. But he does everything in, in six evenings and mornings. Uh, that may be a blank on your paper there. I'm not sure if I put it up here, but uh, he does everything in six evenings and mornings, and on the seventh day, God rested. Okay? We can't miss that. He did everything, y'all. In six evenings and mornings, and on the seventh day, God rested. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. By the way, I want you to notice that that word in Genesis 2, 1 is heavens, plural. The word in Genesis 1, 1 is heaven, singular. Okay, in your King James Bible, it is. Uh, if you have something different, uh, it, it will not be the case, more than likely. But uh, it says they were finished on all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. And I'm not going to spend time here tonight, but I want you to notice that there were some things that he created, and then there were some things that he made. Right? It was not just a repeat, because Moses was looking for a different word. All right. And by Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, God lets you know that, that there's something special about the seventh day. And he, he, what he did is he set it apart or he sanctified it for himself. All right. And what, why this is important is because as you begin to walk through the Bible, you find that when God counts, as I mentioned earlier, he counts by sevens. And that's why we at One Baptist Church make such a big deal about seven because God does. And, and what you find is he counts by sevens, okay? Now, we've talked a lot about how we worship threes, uh, the, 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 the physical realm. Uh, things are in threes there. Uh, but, but he's also saying, listen, keep your eye on that seventh day. Keep your eye on that seventh day. And, and not only does he say that, all through his word, y'all, he emphasizes that. 
over and over again. In the law, he says, hey, work six days, and I want you to rest on the seventh. And, and, and before we go any further, I, I just want to let you know, with teachings that I've heard, and maybe you have too, why would God rest on the seventh day, right? Like, we can all agree he wasn't tired from, from speaking things into existence, but one of the really only explanation that I've heard about why God would rest on the seventh day is because he was basically trying to set up an example for us to work six days and then take Sunday off. Okay, that could be a, a, a somewhat plausible idea, but that is not why. Uh, that is not the real or the main uh, emphasis and the reason. All right, but, but back to where we are. Exodus 23, 12. He says, six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt uh, rest. In the Ten Commandments, he says to remember the Sabbath day. Remember it. Keep your eye on it. He says that in Exodus 20, verse 8. And I couldn't say it any better. Remember the Sabbath day. Black and white. Okay, so if, if he tells, uh, if he says in his word to to uh, work six days, rest the seventh, remember the Sabbath, and, and all of that, then why do we as Christians observe the first day? Right, because we know the Sabbath is not Sunday. Right? In Jewish uh, culture, uh, with biblical understanding, it's what Saturday. Yeah. Good job, someone, please. Okay, so yeah, so so why do we uh, observe the first day? Well, quite honestly, we, we keep that first day because we're Christians. We're not Jews, and that is extremely important. We're not Jews. Ezekiel chapter twenty and verse twelve, God says, "I gave them my people Israel. I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them." Not between me and the Christians, or the church, or uh, Robert. I gave it as a sign between me and them. And so the Sabbath was very specifically a sign between God and Israel. It's not a sign between God and the church, okay? And remember that principle in Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 23, uh, to remove not the ancient landmark. Okay, and doctrinally speaking, we have to keep our eye on the Jew. We have to keep our eye on Israel. Okay, uh, and listen, uh, if you've ever been riding down the road and you see a church or a building that has Seventh Day Adventists on the outside of it, they are messing it up, y'all. They, they really are, uh, because they take that that sign between God and Israel and they apply it to themselves, and, and they're violating passages of scripture, uh, especially two in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, uh, and, and I think 19 maybe, but where God reveals one of them, uh, do not say you're a Jew if you're not. He gives very strict warnings on that. They're making themselves Jews, uh, but Revelation warns against that. And so just, just for, for uh, biblical foundation's sake, I want us to look at the emphasis of the first day in the New Testament. Okay, so we're keeping our eye on the seventh day, the Sabbath, right? But but we're not getting lost in that per se from, from a practical 
um, perspective uh, because there are many times where the first day is emphasized in the New Testament. All right? We see that where Jesus um, rose from the dead on the first day. Uh, all right? It says in Matthew 28, uh, verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, uh, the disciples, they met on the first day, Acts 20 and verse 7. Uh, let us see there on your notes, the New Testament giving is to be brought uh, on the first day. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, specifically in verse 2, uh, well, verse 1, you see Paul talking about the collection of the saints, and then verse 2, he says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in storage, die and prosper him. And so that's why we meet, friends, on the first day of the week, because we're not Jews, we're not Israel, we're the church. And so we need to get that in our spirits. And I know we say that a lot around here, and it's important to, but, but I want you to understand why, uh, why that's the case from a biblical standpoint, okay? Because we're going to be hitting that seventh day hard this evening, all right? So, so God establishes that pattern in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, um, but he, 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 and he emphasizes it, but he explains it in some crazy ways, y'all. And then again, I'm going to refer you uh, to, to back to our Genesis study, we talked about some of this, but I kind of wanted to bring it back tonight just a little bit to remind you of it. <clears throat> but that seventh day uh, was the day that Genesis 2, 2 says that God ended his work. It's the number of completion, and it's the number of perfection, okay? And because of this, when God does something, he does it by sevens. That when you hit a seven in the Bible, you start over. All right, just like the days of the week. You have the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day, the first day. Uh, it happens all over the place. It's all over the Bible. All right, and so I want to show you how this is exemplified in the Word of God. Uh, I believe in your notes you have uh, some categories there that I kind of just put there. I don't want you to have to... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of roll through these, so maybe if you can jot a couple words down next to each one if you want to, or, or whatever you catch, that's great. Uh, but I just want to kind of illustrate this from a biblical perspective when it comes to this, this pattern of sevens that God uh, emphasizes and exemplifies. And Noah, uh, those animals, that they came on the ark by twos. But have you ever noticed that the clean animals came in by sevens? And there's Jacob, who served for seven years that he might get Rachel. In Egypt, there were seven years of plenty, and then there were seven years of what? Famine. In the book of Joshua, those Israelites, man, they marched around Jericho for seven days, once a day for the first six, and then on that seventh day, they marched around it seven times, with seven priests, with seven trumpets leading the way. Why is God telling us that information? Angels in the Bible, you know they're talking about threes and sevens. There have to be three named angels in the Bible, right? You have Michael, you have Gabriel, and who's the third one? Lucifer. Good job, Bill. Yeah, so Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. And all of them just happen to have seven letters in their names. I don't know, that's interesting. 
uh, Naaman uh, was a leper who was told to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Uh, in the tabernacle, uh, the candlestick had seven branches on it. Uh, Solomon, uh, David's son, uh, he was seven years building the temple. And when it was completed, there was a feast that lasted for seven days. Look at Job in the Old Testament there. He had seven sons, y'all. And when a time of tribulation came, his friends came by him and they spent seven days with him in silence, offering seven rams and seven bulls. Hmm. On that day of atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat seven times, y'all, by the high priest. God gave Israel seven feasts to observe. Jesus spoke on the cross seven times. In the book of Acts, they were told to choose seven men of honest character as the first deacons. Seven men. <laughs> and in the book that completes God's perfect revelation, in the book of Revelation, God, he goes all out. It's addressed to seven churches, right? I think we've gotten that. And I bet our pastor could come up and, and probably list off more of these. But it's addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, over which those churches there are seven angels. And the book of Revelation is from him, from Jesus, who stands in the midst of seven candlesticks. And those, uh, there are seven spirits of God there about him. And there is a seven-sealed book uh, that, that uh, is opened by a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. There's a beast with seven heads. There's a dragon with seven heads and seven crowns. Slow down, Robert. There are seven mountains, seven kings, and, and, and in all, you find the word, uh, by my count, I could be wrong, you know, uh, I was homeschooled right there, <laughs> but by my count, 59 times in the book of Revelation, and you have to just stop and ask, man, is there something that God is trying to, to reveal to us, something he's trying to, to get us to grab onto? And so in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, listen, God lays out a pattern, and he works in terms of seven days. Work six, rest one. Uh, and, and he didn't rest, as we said, because he was tired. Uh, we see it in Ezekiel 23 and verse 12. Uh, he gave this command. Again, six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest. And so he's showing us something, okay? And I need you to file that for a little bit. Uh, we'll, 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 we're going to continue talking about it, but we're really going to use it when we get uh, a little bit further down the road this evening. <clears throat> uh, but as you go through Scripture, you also find that not only does he work by seven days, but he works by seven weeks. Uh, you see that in, there in, in uh, Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, where he says seven Sabbaths, and he emphasizes there in Deuteronomy 16, seven weeks. Uh, you have uh, the day of Pentecost, which is seven weeks after Passover. 
Okay, so seven weeks at seven days, so seven times seven, right? 49 days. After 49 days, you had that 50th day of Pentecost, meaning 50th day, right? So, so God emphasizes seven days times seven, seven weeks. And then he talked about, uh, a lot of times in Scripture, seven months, Leviticus 23, 24. In the seventh month, he talks about having a Sabbath, a memorial, blowing the trumpets, and a holy convocation. And then he goes on, and he, and he emphasizes seven years. Uh, I'm not going to read all of this to you. Uh, you have it there, Leviticus 25, 1 through 6. Uh, but look at this. I try to pull some of that out for you. Six years, sow your field. Six years, prune the vineyard. Gather the fruit for six years. But in the seventh year, it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 2, again, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh shall he go out free for nothing. Speaking of those that have servants. Right? That seventh year was that time of freedom. It, it would um, reset, so to speak. Uh, but he goes on, and he talks about seven weeks of years. Seven weeks of years. So this is seven Sabbaths of years. Uh, in other words, it's seven years times seven, okay? So biblically speaking, a week is seven years, all right? Uh, we see that in, um, where is that, Genesis uh, 29, maybe, or somewhere in there. Uh, where is, it? is that it? Yeah, with the, oh, it's with uh, Rachel and Leah, right? Uh, with your switcheroo, and uh, he has to work another seven years, fulfill her a week, another, so God defines what a week is for us. Uh, but it's seven years times seven, or 49 years, is what we see there. Uh, Leviticus 25, 8 through 13, I already said that, uh, but you can see it there. Seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven, uh, it's the trumpet of Jubilee. So that, that year after that is the year of Jubilee. Uh, there in, in, um, in the middle there, it says, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. A year of Jubilee, that 50th year after seven times seven. And so everything there is starting over, okay? So I, I, I pull this out to say this. You're one day in Genesis 1. One day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day, rest. And he goes through, oh, you have seven days, you have seven weeks, you have seven. And that's not all, by the way, there's more, but, but hey, it's, it's all the time, God is beating this drum. Why is he doing that? Why does he care so much? Why did he preserve seven, six, and one rest? And God wanted to see six days rest, six weeks rest, six months rest, six years rest, and on and on he goes. And so if we're asking questions tonight, then we should be asking, what is the meaning of this obvious pattern? The meaning may not be obvious, but the pattern is. It's very clearly there. And so I want to take you, as I mentioned before, if you're not there already, I'm not going to put these verses up, but I want to take you to Genesis chapter 1. So, so go back there with me. Uh, and we're not, well, this is actually after verse 3 there. Um, the, the recreation, he, he, he's fitting the earth for an Adamic race. Uh, and so we, we see that this pattern 
when you look at Genesis 1, starting verse 3, God said, let there be light. Um, verse 5, the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, look down in verse 8, the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13, the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 19, the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Uh, verse 23, the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 31, the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then you get to Genesis 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because, all the, uh, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And nowhere does it say that God or the, that the evening and the morning the seventh day. Now listen, I don't know what you believe about God, but I believe he is precise. And I believe he is calculated. And I believe he is a God of order. And I believe he makes absolutely no mistakes. And, and there's a reason why he didn't tell us. Like he broke his consistent pattern on that seventh day. And he didn't say the evening and the morning is the seventh day. Very interesting. And then we'll read into our Bibles and we come to Second Peter chapter three and verse eight. There, I don't have it, uh, but I have it here. Uh, so if you want to turn there, you can or just listen. He says, "But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing: that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." Okay, so <clears throat> Christians, there are some things that we may be able to be ignorant of. But he's calling out this one thing and says, listen, don't be ignorant of this. Know this. Get this. Understand this. Apply this. Grab onto it. And, and <laughs> you would almost think it, it would be something that seems to be a little more earth-shattering than how God tells time. But really, that, that's pretty earth-shattering. Uh, and we'll see that in just a few moments. But he says, here it is. One day with the Lord, this is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so if, if we, as we do here at One Baptist, I hope, if we take the Word of God literally, if we take it at what it says, and, and if we're trying to compare spiritual with spiritual, uh, what would happen if we plug that little equation into what God is doing here? Where we happen to see days first mentioned in the Bible, which is Genesis chapter 1. And what we would see is, is that God doesn't just look according to seven days, weeks, months, years, weeks and years, decades. He also works according to seven millennia or millenniums, whichever one you prefer. Uh, but, but Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, I highlighted for you a certain phrase. I want you to count the phrase that you see highlighted. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw verse 4, thrones, and they... Uh, sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, wow, and the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had we 
see his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Until a thousand years were finished, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and you can count up to six, you got six millennia and rest. Or six millenniums. God is pitching for it. Now, number one, I believe he is emphasizing, hey, this is no um, uh, spiritual time frame. This isn't allegorical. This is a physical, literal, real thousand-year time frame, number one. But he just so happens to mention six times a thousand years, and it doesn't break God's pattern. And then rest. Because Satan is destroyed. And it's just as clear as it could possibly be. All right. Now, um, there's a chart that you have. Uh, it's the second chart, I think, uh, where there's two larger circles on the end, and then seven smaller circles. Um, not, not, no, no, not, not that one, Joe. That's the other one. I think it's like not the one that has the box come out of it. Yeah, yeah. Bingo. Has the cross of the first coming, the crown, the second coming, seven circles in the middle, two larger ones on the outside. Um, so the one on the left, the original earth, we talked about that. Uh, the one on the right, the new earth, we talked about that. There's seven smaller circles between them. And above those circles, you see the days. And, and I'm going to let you go ahead and fill those in, starting with day one through day seven. Robbie, you some for us. We don't know how to count. I know, but I don't want to do all the work. So uh, <laughs> I need you to have some skin in the game. Uh, but day one through day seven there. Now, uh, remember, we're, we're plugging into the equation, 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Day one would represent the first from a doctrinal or time frame perspective, okay? Day one would represent the first thousand years. Day two would be the second thousand years. Day three, the third thousand, and so on, right? You get that. You can fill those in if you want. You can if you don't. But I want you to look. And by the way, by saying this, friend, I'm not saying that it wasn't six literal 24-hour days that God didn't create the earth. He did, yes. Okay, but... There are three applications of scripture, right? There's historical, there's devotional, and then there's a doctrinal prophetic, where God is teaching us something, okay? It's just a multi-layered level of his word. And this isn't me or Frank or my God, this is the spirit of God, revealing his word by comparing spiritual to spiritual. But I want you to look at that, uh, the end of the 7,000 years. You just happen to start with a new earth, right? It just happens that way, coincidentally, I'm sure, uh, and we can go through example upon example, but the rainbow, uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, there's seven, right? Uh, in music, right, on a piano, uh, there are 88 keys on a piano, okay? But when you take a scale, you can start with A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. So there's seven, and it starts over. Uh, why is that? Uh, but on and on, uh, it goes. And, and uh, just... Just for funsies, did you know that every cell in your body is remade every seven years? Isn't that something? You know, God counts by sevens and then he starts over. And, and number eight, by the way, in your Bible is, is a number of new uh, beginnings, uh, just, just for kicks and giggles. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 uh, just happens to identify Noah as the eighth person. Anytime God just rolls the dice for a second and throws a number at you in the word of God, 
watch it, look at it. There's something he's doing. But it just so happens that Noah is the eighth person, and it just so happens that there were eight people uh, in Noah's family, including himself, right? Him, Mrs. Noah, the three boys, and then their wives. And so there's eight people in the ark, and when they come out of the ark, it is new beginnings. All right, so just so we can see this biblically, David was the eighth son of Jesse, was he not? And he started a new beginning for the nation of Israel as king. Um, and I didn't put any notes there, that was just for funsies. But listen, God counts by sevens. All right, you're like, okay, Robert, shut up with that seven, we get it. Okay, I, I, please do, please get it. Okay, he counts by sevens, then he starts over, all right? But there's something else. I want you to look at your chart, um, <clears throat> the one that with all the circles. And uh, I want you to count on there with me for a moment. Uh, I want you to uh, count four circles, and you, the smaller circles, not the big one. You count four circles, and then you see Christ, right? You see the cross. Uh, so, 2 Peter 3 8. A day is when the thousands of thousands is a day. Four millenniums, or four millennia, and then Christ. And then you have three more after that. And, and what you see is God works as a, a pattern of seven, but he goes even a little further, and he breaks that pattern of seven into fours and threes. It's very interesting how he does that. Uh, in the Feast of Israel that we talked about earlier, they come in a series of four, and then three. Okay, you have uh, the Passover, unleavened bread, and some of you actually kind of flipping through, so I'm sorry if it's like a, a hot mess over there. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with me. But uh, there's the Passover, you have unleavened bread, you have the first fruits, and then you have Pentecost. Okay, there's the first four, and then you have a period of time, and then you have the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Four and then three. Uh, the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. Uh, he addresses four of the churches in chapter two, and he addresses three of the churches in chapter three. And the seven days in Genesis one three through two three. The first day is light. The second day, a firmament. The third day, the seas and the dry land. Uh, the fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then after the fourth day, God does something very interesting. He brings life. You check out Genesis chapter 1. I'm not sure if I put it up here, but you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting verse 19. You see the conclusion of that fourth day. And starting there in verse 20. You see something very interesting. So there is a smaller version of seven circles and a little, I think I actually put this up there, did I? Oh, look at that. Look how good I am now. Wow. Sorry, thank you for laughing at that, whoever did, because that was totally good. But the, 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 after four days comes life, all right? Now, we're looking at this from a, a, just a historical perspective. After the fourth day, he created life. Yeah. The first time you see life on this planet, according to Genesis 1, it is after the fourth day, the beginning of the fifth day. And it just so happens to line up with right where Christ came on the earth. John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Guys, that's amazing. 
John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 5, 12, he, who hath the, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Okay? And by the way, Genesis 1, 20 is the first mention of life in your King James Bible. Uh, and, and in Genesis 1, 20, uh, God says, let the waters bring forth abundantly, hang on to that for a minute, the moving creature that hath life, uh, and, the, and found that they fly above the earth, uh, the confirmation of the heaven. So, so grab onto the waters and abundantly and life. Because over there in John chapter 10 and verse 10, friend, the thief cometh not to, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he says, I am come that they might have, oh, life. But there's a special kind of life that he offers. Then I have an abundant life. Listen, you, <laughs> the only way you can not believe that is to not believe it. Like, it, the only way to miss that is to not believe every word on purpose. God is very precise. He just happens to use the word water and abundantly and life. John chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered, This is a the woman of the well. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Water with life. Uh, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, the well is deep, from which then hast thou that living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, his cattle? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall uh, thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again, but the water that I shall give him, y'all, is water that springs up into everlasting life. And you know, scholars have a hard time with this stuff. Okay, I, I, this is not to my credit whatsoever. Uh, but you won't find stuff like this in uh, probably nearly any commentary if you want to peruse the market of scholarly material when it comes to, to biblical studies or faulty so-called. You won't find it. It's because it's the, the scholars, the theologians, they have such a hard time with this stuff. Why? Because it's really, it's beneath their level. I mean, you have to be a common man. You have to be a common woman. You have to just, you have to be, you have to just believe the word of God. You have to believe Proverbs 12, 6, and 7. That every word of God is true. You have to believe Proverbs 35, 36. You have to believe Matthew 4, 4, that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You have to. And so listen, I say that to say you don't need their, their studyologies. You, you don't need that stuff. You just need the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So, uh, okay. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 1 um, and chapter 2 there. I want to take you on. If, if you haven't, if you, if you haven't gotten excited, and I know most of you haven't, or if you have, you're really good at disguising it, uh, and, and that's cool. But uh, 
you haven't like it just hasn't inside you, it hasn't grabbed you yet, just just hang tight with me because I think this will. These next several passages uh, that I want to show you, John chapter one and chapter two. Uh, I want you to take a look, and I'm going to hit some of these highlights just so I can make sure that, that I'm not like overloading anyone or overwhelming anyone. But again, just look at the way God masterfully orchestrated His word. And, and as we go through these things, don't miss that these are historical, like when it says a certain day or a certain number of days that we're going to see, it was a certain day. It was the next day. It was the second day, the third day. It, it was that. So we're not taking from that. We're not taking any kind of licensing uh, or liberty that God himself hasn't given us. Okay? But, 2 Peter 3, 8. And God has said, keep your eye on that seventh day. He's the one that gave us the pattern, y'all. We're not creating this. He's the one that has established it. But anyways, John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so I want you to take a note or take notice of your chart there. But when Jesus came from a doctrinal perspective, so, so find the cross there, find his first coming, and, and then take a look at um, chapter 2 in John, uh, verse 1. And the third day, something happened. There was a marriage in Cana. The third day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that about? What is going on here? Where, where the, the first, why would the first miracle that Jesus did right here at, be at a wedding where he would turn water into wine? What's he teaching us there? Keep your eye on that seventh day. Four days, Jesus, and then three days more. And, and by the way, um, um, verse 6, there, there were set uh, there, how many water pots of stone? There were six water pots of stone. I wonder why. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, turn with me to, to John chapter 4, verse uh, 40. Look over a page or two there, John chapter 4, verse 40. So in the Samaritans, uh, again, this is uh, that, that, um, that, that, in the context of the same passage with the woman at the well there, or the, yeah, the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there how many days? He had stayed with them, those Samaritans, for two days. What are Samaritans? What are they? Yeah, they're half Jew, half Gentile. And he stayed with the Jew slash Gentiles for two days after he came. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. And he says to the woman, now we believe. Uh, she went to go get them and tell them about this man. Now we believe, they say, not because of thy saying, 
we've heard him ourselves and know that, that uh, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Verse 43, now, after two days, so he stayed there two days, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And verse 45, then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him. Who are the Galileans? The Jews. The Jews finally received him. Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So you have the Samaritan woman who, who's a Gentile, and, and she's convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, and she goes to tell other Gentiles about him, and he's with the Gentiles for two days. For 2,000 years, he is with the Gentiles. And after two days, he goes to Galilee. And he turns his attention to who? The Jews. And what did they do? They received him. And Hosea 6 2, after two days, will he revive us? So after two days, we are gone. He turns his attention back to the Jew. And then the third day, he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. That millennial kingdom. Who is the us and the we? Jews. What is going on here? Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Start verse 27. Matthew 16, verse 27. We're coming up on a count here where um, Jesus is uh, what we commonly know as the transfiguration, and he's revealing himself uh, to his disciples. But uh, a very interesting um, course of events uh, is played out here. Starting again in verse 27. Uh, Jesus said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. What is that? He's coming. It's the second coming of Christ. Okay, he tells us right there. So there's a context. He's coming in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verse 28, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, so again, the context there is the second coming of Christ, the physical literal return of Christ to the earth. And then he goes on to chapter 17, and after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into the high mountain apart, and, and it was transfigured before them. Right? He pulled his flesh back, you know, he showed them who he was, and his face is shining as the sun, and his raiment uh, was white as the light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses <laughs> and Elias. Who's that? Yeah, Moses and Elijah talking to them. So, so, so here are these three dudes, Peter, James, and John. They're seeing the, 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 the glorious, um, powerful, majestic Christ with no flesh inhibiting him. And they also happen to see uh, Moses and Elijah. Verse 4, then, Peter, uh, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, and it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make thee three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for life. When he had spake, behold, a bright, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud. And that voice said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Before we go any further, I want you to notice that there are seven voices here. There's different ones. 
Peter, James, and John, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah 5, Jesus 6, and the Bible 7. But, but Peter gives us some commentary uh, when he talks about this event over there in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. And just so you don't think I'm kind of resting scriptures or anything, he tells us that it was the power and the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that they saw. It wasn't cunningly devised fables, but they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And when are we going to see that his majesty, his power, it will be, as a, well, for us it will be before that, but it will be at the coming of the Lord that everyone will behold that. In that excellent glory. And, and I want you to notice there what he, that, that uh, Jesus says to those guys, hey, some of you guys, you're not going to die before you see me come in my glory. And it just so happens that in Matthew chapter 17, it was after six days that Jesus took them up and revealed his glory to them. After six days. Luke records the same account in chapter 9 and verse 28, and he just says, oh, about eight days. It was after six, but it was about eight. Six, seven. Six, seven. Jude chapter 1, or the only chapter in Jude verse 14 there, uh, happens to call a guy by the name of Enoch, who calls him the seventh from Adam. And what did Enoch, the seventh from Adam, do? He prophesied. What did he prophesy? The coming of the Lord with 10,000 of his saints. The seventh from Adam pointed to the coming of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, tells us that Enoch was translated. He's a picture of you, by the way. He's a picture of me, the church. Because he was translated, he was raptured before the judgment. God is beating this drum over and over, y'all. It's amazing. Uh, I'll show you one last thing, and we're going to land it here. Uh, so, you have one final chart. Uh, the four watches of the night, I think it's called. <clears throat> so be that last one. So while you're getting there, I also need you to get over to Mark chapter 13. I need you to get to Mark 13, verse 32. Oh, I put it there for you too. So there's that. Yeah, I forgot to do that. But. So look up here or look up in your, in your Bible. Something very, very interesting is going on here. Uh, verse 32, but of that day, that day, that day, that day, and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, and, and pause absolutely. This is where I need to tell you the things that we're discussing up until this point, and the things that I'm going to share with you in just a moment. You see some of those dates or time frames that I've included on your charts. And some of the things I'm about to share with you, uh, I nor we are in the business of violating the Lord's command. Uh, we are not setting dates. We cannot and do not and will not know the hour that he is coming. But we know the time, we can know the times and the seasons. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
that sunrise every morning, for those of you that realize that the sun does rise or, or that there's, there's a, a early morning hour like that, it doesn't just sneak up on you. Like, oh, there's the sun. I mean, it's not just pitch black, it's bam, light. That sunrise, you know it's coming. You just look around, starting to get a little bit lighter, starting to change a little bit. You sense it, something's changing, something's going to happen. We can know the times and the seasons, Paul says to the Thessalonians. But, anyways, so he says, verse 33, uh, Matthew 13, take ye heed, watch. He tells you to watch. Quit watching Netflix and watch. And pray. For ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Verse 35, watch ye therefore. For ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even, count it, or at midnight, or at the cockcrowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And just from a devotional perspective, friends, don't let him come back to rapture you out of here and then find you sleeping, slumbering, apathetic, lazy. So, verse 37, and what I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. So, so in this passage, Jesus lists four watches of the night. And you see that there in verse 35. And that last chart, uh, what it is, it is, it is those last two days before between Christ's first coming and his second coming, kind of just like uh, <clears throat> blown up a little bit. Okay? It's kind of like emphasized there. We're kind of take a closer look in. And so he calls the four watches again, evening, midnight, cock crowing, and morning. And when you look at John chapter 11 and verse 9, uh, Jesus just informs us, in case we weren't aware, that there are 12 hours in a day. Well, no, there's 24. No, there's 12 in a day. And so how many are in a night? Uh, Hello, Amy. Here you go. Yay! Yeah. I got, I got Amy here. She's, she must have drank your smart juice today. Oh, she's so good. Yeah, you know I said 12. A little bit? Okay. So there's 12 hours in the night and there's 12 hours in the day. Okay. And so if any man, he says, walk in the day, he's not going because he's like, okay. So four watches in the night, 12 hours in the night. So on your chart there, that first watch, 6 to 9 p.m. All right. So we're looking at this from a 12 hour period. The watch of the night, 6 to 9 p.m. That second watch would be uh, 9 p.m. To, to midnight or 12 a.m. That third watch is going to be 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. And then that fourth watch, of course, is at 3 a.m. To, to 6 a.m. And so there you have the evening, the midnight, the cock crowing, and the morning. And, and so following the Lord's breakdown, we're talking about a 2,000-year period. And you can see some of the, I was very careful, like I said, to use the, the, the word approximately, okay? 
And I want you to see how close we really are. And so we're talking about a 2,000 year time frame, and that would make the first watch, um, if we break that, apart, break that apart, end around the year 500 AD. And we'll see when we get into that part of our study, uh, Pope Gregory uh, does a major deal, and the lights begin to go out. It gets real dark, y'all. That's what I was saying earlier, how history, I didn't do this, huh? History bears this out. And God, I've said it before, way before it can happen. That second watch is midnight around the year 1000 AD, and the dark ages were the height of it all. That third watch around 1500 AD, again, these are, these are really uh, fluid uh, slash approximate here, uh, but it's when the beginning of the Reformation uh, started taking place, and we'll get into all that. And that first watch, or that fourth watch, would be around the year 2000. That's now. Uh, we're in 2020. That's why I'm not saying like they in 2000 AD or they in 2020. Nothing like that. There's a lot of factors that you have to consider when, when you're looking at the time and the seasons that God has laid out for us. Uh, we need to take a stop thinking Gentile and start thinking Jew, number one. So the time frame um, it definitely uh, begins to change a little bit, but not that much. Well, excuse me, but it, it, yeah, it's not like way, way off. And I want you to see these things. And, and remember that as far as God is concerned, right now, we are, it's nighttime. And biblically speaking, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light. And, uh, and he ascended to the Father in the early pages of Acts, and the light went out, and we went to a biblical nighttime. And that's what all through the scriptures, and this is like where I really want, I'm going to close it up here, and I really want you to grab this practical piece. Because if you miss this, and you just leave thinking, man, that's so cool. Uh, think that, but don't think just that. Because this is where it needs to change us. First Thessalonians 5. So the times and the seasons, I told you, right, brethren, you have to do that are right to you, for yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety and sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. That's an important phrase, by the way, uh, when you track that. Uh, and, and they shall not escape. Verse 4, but ye brethren, you're the brethren, I'm the brethren, upon them, excuse, uh, but ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, be spiritually sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Don't be drunken with sex. Don't be drunken with substance abuse. Don't be drunken with entertainment. Don't be drunken with self. Be sober. Watch. Verse 8, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the helmet of salvation. And again, just so happens, air quotes, Matthew 4, Malachi 4, verses 1 through 3, says, The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, there's that fervent heat, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble, y'all. And that day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 
But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and he shall go forth and go up as tabernacles all. Uh, and then verse, uh, the end of verse 3, in the day that I shall do this, he says, the day, the day, that day. And there's not a typo in your King James Bible with the Son of Righteousness. It's capital for a reason. And those translators, man, they put S-U-N for a reason because they knew that the sun rising in the east represents the coming of the Lord. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, just happens to tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, y'all, it shows his handiwork. Verse 2, day unto day, utter speak. It's talking to us. Are we listening? Are we watching? Are we praying? Are we sober? Day unto day, night unto night, show knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, that line, like you, you cast a line, you throw a line. Uh, communication, their speech, again, is gone out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world, watch it here. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is, just happens to be a bridegroom. Your Lord is a bridegroom, and you are his espoused bride. We are the, the bride of Christ to be married to him one day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But that son is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and he rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there's nothing, nothing hid from the view hereof. Man, I hope your mind is just like going with pictures. <laughs> and simply by comparing spiritual with spiritual, we see that we are at the very end of that last watch. And when you see the sunrise, like I said earlier, it doesn't just sneak up on you. You know it's coming. If you're watching, if you're looking, you know it's about to rise. And, and, and I just, I want to say again, I'm not, I'm not setting dates. I'm doing nothing of the sort. I couldn't even pretend to, because I don't know any days. But I know we're close. I, I, I see the times and the seasons. And, and as I said, I'm going to share this last verse with you. It's the one, one of the ones we first started with. If none of, if none of that first Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8 wasn't practical about being sober and watching, 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. That's all temporary. That's all just gonna, I mean, <laughs> everything that I am working for right now, from a, a self kingdom standpoint, it's gone. It is as good as gone. Right? Now, sure, I make plans. My wife and I are raising a daughter, like we're making repairs on the house, like all that's going on, but I like, know in the back of my mind. It's all simple. It's stuck. Just as quick as money can come, money can leave. And it does, right? Cars drop. Stuff plus. Anyways, knowing all this that it shall be resolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Not in good conversation. But in holy conversation and godliness. And then there in verse 14, we see, or seeing, beloved, 
brethren, that you look for such look for him. Look for those things. Be diligent. That you may be found in of him for us to that judgment to the Christ. In peace without spot and blemish. And if that doesn't make it practical for us, then you need to take the notes that you got this evening and put them in the trash can on your way out. Because none of it really matters. If it doesn't change us, if knowing the sign of righteousness is about to rise, if feeling what he means, if it does nothing for us, from a practical standpoint, you did a good job as a Pharisee sitting here and I did a good job, if it does nothing for me in my life, as a Pharisee, preaching the Bible. God, I, I pray that, that we would uh, allow your word to change us tonight. That as we leave here, and not even as we leave, before we leave, God, and let us please understand these things in our hearts. Not just our minds, but in our hearts, God. And whatever we are worshiping in any capacity, Lord, would you just reveal that to us? Just anything but you. Lord, I ask that for myself first and foremost. God, I thank you for the, the conciseness and the precision of your word, the exactness and the perfection of why, why should we be surprised? You're, you're holy. You're right. So is your word. So that may these things may be, we have the power to let these things change us or not. You change us, but we have the ability to let them change us or not. Lord, may we decrease and you increase. In Jesus' name. All right, friends, we love you. Uh, thanks for hanging in with us, and we will see you, Lord willing, Sunday morning.